The Baptist State Convention of North Carolina proudly presents the Revitalize NC podcast. It is our aim to help pastors and leaders renew a passion for the gospel and a vision for the future in order to make disciples who make disciples. Well, welcome everyone to the start of our new Revitalize NC podcast. We're so excited about this opportunity to be with you. I'm Terry Long, your senior consultant in church revitalization here at the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. This podcast has the purpose of looking at different current issues in church revitalization that you as lay members and churches and pastors deal with. And each time that we do this, we want to have someone who is an expert in the field to speak to that issue. Before I get to our topic and our guest today, I want to introduce you to someone that will always be with us, our team leader, ministry assistant in church revitalization and health, Hannah Nelson. Hannah, tell us a little bit about yourself and say hi. Hey guys, uh, my name is Hannah. I work here at the Baptist State Convention with the Church Health and Revitalization Team. Uh, I'm a transplant to the RDU area, originally from Northern Virginia, and my husband and I are members at Providence Church here in Raleigh. Great. Well, I want to jump right into our topic today, the role of spiritual warfare in the church for revitalization. And our guest today is Dr. Chuck Lawless. He is the Professor of Evangelism and Missions the Dean of Doctoral Studies, the VP of Spiritual Formation and Ministry Centers, and the Richard and Gina Hedrick Chair of World Missions at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest. And also in your free time, Dr. Lawless, that was a joke, you have your blog, chucklawless.com. You are uh, helping with the IMB and also are part of Church Answers uh, with with, uh, Dr. Tom Rader. So just want to welcome you this morning. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Great. Well, we're going to jump right in. Dr. Lawless, tell us a little bit about yourself, family, vocation, your hobbies, and in the process of doing that, if you just tell us a little bit how you got involved in this whole church revitalization thing. Sure. I'm, I'm also a transplant here to North Carolina. I grew up in Ohio, uh, was raised in a non-Christian home. Uh, I was a seventh grade classmate, a 12-year-old classmate who shared the gospel with me. And when I was 13, the Lord saved me and called me to preach. Uh, I'm convinced the same day uh, I wrestled with that sense of calling, but the Lord opened up doors. I started pastoring full-time when I was 20 years old. Uh, I, I probably, well, I know I wasn't ready, uh, but the Lord opened up that door. And I pastored for 14 years in Ohio, then went to Southern Seminary in Kentucky to do my Ph.D. work. And it was it was there that I really began to look at church growth and church health uh, church revitalization. We didn't we didn't use the terms then like that. Certainly not church revitalization. We were talking about church health and church growth. Uh, but I was working with Tom Rayner, who was the the founding dean of the Billy Graham School of Missions and Evangelism and Church Growth at Southern, and I was his uh, assistant. I later joined the faculty uh, with his being our dean, and. He introduced me to church consulting. How do you how do you walk alongside a pastor and a congregation and help them see themselves with external eyes? And how do you help them find a sense of renewed hope? And what steps can you give them to start moving in the in the right direction? So that really began my my interest in helping churches as we saw the vast percentage of churches around North America were plateaued or declining. Uh, but there were many, many pastors who didn't want it to be that way. They wanted to, they wanted to change things, but they needed some, they needed some help. Sometimes, 
Sometimes, Terry, they just needed encouragement. Uh, they just needed hope. Uh, but we, we began to invest in them. I've done consulting now for the last 20, 25 years probably with local churches. I'm now in my 25th year of teaching as a, as a professor. I've been at Southeastern Seminary now for eight years, and my wife, Pam, and I live in Wake Forest. We've been married. It will be 30 years in, in May of this year. We were, we were actually fixed up by two church secretaries uh, who are still to this day very proud of themselves. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I, a lot of people would love love to hear your background and love to to hear that. And and I want to dive a little bit more into your twenty plus years in revitalization. We know recently that uh, Dr. Rayner is is saying that there's a possibility that nine out of ten churches now will be revitalizations. Um, we know that even before the pandemic, eighty two plus percent of our North Carolina Baptist churches were in revitalization. Just tell us a little bit about what you've seen over your twenty five or twenty plus years in in revitalization, as we call it now. How how things have changed and and how they are continuously changing as far as just the scope of revitalization. Yeah, I don't know that the the needs of churches are changing much. The same issues that we see today and in inward focus, uh, not the best leadership, uh, a lack of, of evangelism, no discipleship strategy, the same things that we're seeing today we saw back then too. I think one of the differences is we, we have more internet-based tools and more access to walking with churches now. When I first started doing consulting and, and talking about revitalization, we, we had to drive or fly to the, to the church. We had to, we had to visit there. And we still do that some. But now with Zoom and Teams and so many other methods, uh, we, can, we can do consulting with ever, without ever really being on the campus of the church. There's just some, some ways that we can help churches even from a distance now that we couldn't do back then. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we know, you know, there's one aspect that has not changed, and that's the the spiritual aspect of revitalization. And it's so interesting to me, just your heart and your niche, um, just as I've known you over the last few years, um, for uh, just spiritual warfare within revitalization. So many of our revitalization tools, processes, our focus are around the uh, church's ministry or the man, the pastor. Um, and really, you have a niche and a heart for the spiritual warfare that really permeates the entire process. Um, we so, say so many times in our revitalization process with the state convention that you can have everything on paper and have everything done right in that area, but you can be easily taken down by the institutional and spiritual factors. So why don't you just tell us a little bit just biblically um, and kind of set the set the foundation for what we see in, in Scripture from a spiritual uh, spiritual warfare um, in revitalization with churches. Sure. Let me, let me again give you a little bit of background. When I first started studying church growth, we, we read about, we talked about, you used the terms, contextual factors, what's going on in the environment that, that influences whether or not a church grows, institutional factors that were the, the internal factors looking at the church. And in many ways, we landed there. We, we landed at, let's do a demographic study to figure out who are the people we're called to reach, and let's look at the, the internal issues in the church. Let's look at structure, leadership, curriculum, preaching, music, worship, all of those things. And, and we operated as if, as long as we knew our community and we worked on the internal stuff, that our, that our churches would naturally grow. And, and the truth is, sometimes they would. The, the question for me became, all right, if they are growing, how are they growing? 
in what way are they growing? If, if what we're doing in revitalization is we are helping churches grow by swapping sheep with other congregations, I don't know that that's where we want to go. Uh, and sometimes by just looking at the, the demographics and the internal factors, the institutional factors, sometimes we could put things in place to see numerical increase, but not really see lives changed and not see souls saved. So that really became a burden for me. And I'm not the first one thinking in this way by by any means. Uh, Pete Wagner, years ago, uh, first a, a professor at Fuller Seminary many years ago, now with the now with the Lord, uh, Dr. Wagner was one of the first to say we have to look at spiritual factors. Now, late in his life, in my opinion, he went a little off the rails with with where he was headed. But he did say to us that. We can look at those institutional factors and contextual factors. If we don't look at the spiritual factors, we'll be missing a primary uh, sense of what we're called to do and to be. So that that really led into my interest in, in spiritual warfare. Uh, frankly, my interest in spiritual warfare began for me personally uh, thinking in terms of how do I best walk with the Lord in a way that, that threatens the enemy. And then as I looked at churches and saw the enemy just attacking church after church after church and pastor after pastor, uh, it just drove me to the text. And you open up the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, you see that there is a very real enemy who fights against us. Ephesians 6, Paul's very clear that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And from the, from the garden on, the, the powers have sought to divide us, to mislead us so that we, we teach false doctrine, uh, to distract us from the work of evangelism, uh, to lead us to operate in our own strength so we lack the power of God. And what we must do as churches, if we're going to move into revitalization, we have to recognize the schemes of the enemy without getting focused on him. Because it's really easy to talk about spiritual warfare and you begin to find a demon behind every rock, but the the scriptures won't let us go there. I want us to see, yes, the enemy is real, but equally so, the enemy is a defeated foe and we, we can live in victory. Amen. Well, and it's interesting as you pull us back to Scripture over and over and, and just sitting you know, under your mentorship in this way with revitalization, you constantly do that. And so take us a little bit through um, through Scripture and how, it's, how you're seeing it played out um, today specifically in, in churches and pastors' lives. Because we know, um, you know, on, on average, most revitalizations take five to seven years. Churches are working through their processes. Churches are working on um, the pastor is continuing to, to work through his his submission. The church is working on their submission to the Lord. And most of our pastors, most of our churches, they really want to see the Lord move in their church. They want to see amazing things done. Most of my interaction with churches, these are great people that you know in, that want to see the Lord move. But in that process of years of revitalization, there seems to be things that the enemy throws their way that. That take them take them down, or that he tries to take them down with over the over the over the process. So, what are some common ones that you see for our audience listening today that that they can be aware of? That you know, be be very aware that as you're in the revitalization process, that this rock is being thrown at you. Well, let me start with a fundamental problem for churches in general, 
As, as I read Ephesians 6, and Paul is saying we're currently, we have to put on the whole armor of God, the, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and so forth. I, I don't think Paul was giving us some, some uh, supernatural prayer to pray, God, just give me the armor. I don't think it's wrong to pray that way, but I think Paul's talking much more practically than that. Yeah. I, think, I think Paul's talking in the context of the book of Ephesians about how we walk with the Lord. And we walk as people of truth and people of righteousness who are who are sharing the gospel, who are operating in faith, uh, who are living out our salvation, who are loving the word and speaking the word. And, and and what I want us to think about is if that's what wearing the armor means, that we walk like God calls us to walk, I think we have to ask the question, what's the process in our churches to get people there? To, to move them as new believers into fully committed believers who are wearing the armor of God. And I think, this is one of my real concerns, in many, many, many of our churches, the process is simply this. You all show up and it's just going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't. It, it, they could show up in our worship services. They could be in our small groups. Ideally, all of that would be so structured and strategic that it would lead to growth. But most of the time, our, our churches are just trying to figure out how, how to get from Sunday to Sunday. And so without, without a strategic plan to really make disciples, we're not preparing people for the battle. They're in the battle because the battle is real. But when we're not preparing them for the battle by teaching them how to wear the full armor of God, it shouldn't surprise us that the enemy wins so often. I, I, think, I think particularly in these these most crazy days of pandemic, the strangest days I've ever walked through as a, as, a, as a pastor, I think one of the ways the enemy is really striking is isolation. It is, it is aloneness. And we've, we've been forced into that in some ways to, to be by ourselves, to be uh, distant from the very people that we're leading. Leading, and even when we go to church, we we still have to maintain social distancing, and and everything's different. What I what I want us to recognize is, God created us needing other people. When God said of Adam, "It's not good for the man to be alone," that wasn't a product of the fall. That was part of God's creation, because God created us to be in relationship with Him and with one another. And if the enemy can isolate us so that we lack accountability, we lack prayer support, uh, we have nobody watching our lives, uh, nobody uh, that we can turn to for strength. We wind up fighting all of these battles on our own, and we're not designed to win the battles that way. We're designed to win the battles under the power of the Spirit, living in the Word of God, in the context of the people of God. And so we we have to fight against isolation in order to stand against the enemy today. How can a pastor that's listening today fight against that isolation? You you talk about taking on the whole armor of God, and we know the helmet of salvation and the attacks of the mind. And you know, as pastors, they find themselves uh, very many times for different reasons feeling isolation, whether that's true or not. And so, how can what encouragement do you have for a pastor today, biblically and in your experience, to fight against that isolation? Ideally, here's what would happen. Older pastors would reach out to younger pastors and 
my generation would invest in the next generation. And we would take the leadership to do that. That's ideal. I wish we all would do that. That's that's tough because many of us have never done that. We don't know what that looks like because we didn't receive it. Uh, we, we don't even know how to connect with another generation. And so we all wind up on our own in, in isolation. Here's what I think we have to do as pastors. We can't wait for someone to reach back to us to say, may I walk with you. Ideally, somebody would take that initiative, but it's not likely to happen. We can either get frustrated with the lack of it and get angry with a generation that doesn't do it, or we can prayerfully seek somebody to walk with us. So I would say to, to pastors listening today, if you're, if you're walking by yourself, you need to you need to reach out to somebody here at the state convention, at the seminary, another pastor in the city, somebody that has invested in your life in the past. We, again, today we can we can meet via Zoom and Teams in so many other ways that we couldn't do years ago. I don't think we have any legitimate excuses not to have somebody walking beside us. What what I say to young pastors is this: pray. Start asking. Don't get discouraged if some folks tell you no. Because it doesn't necessarily mean they don't care. It could well mean that they don't know how to invest in somebody. It could also mean that if they invest in somebody, they know that somebody's going to be watching their life more closely. And that's that's uncomfortable at times. So ask if somebody tells you no. Say thank you for considering it. And you keep praying and you keep asking till you find somebody. God has somebody out there who will walk with us. We just have to keep looking until God gives us what I call that divine intersection where this life crosses with this life. And at the center of that is iron sharpening iron. Amen. Something we see in revitalization is so many times, again, we go through these processes. We have um, everything on paper. We have uh, everything lined out. We may even have have changed our worship services, whatever it may be. But in the course of spiritual warfare and understanding the trappings of the devil and his fiery darts, what caution would you give to churches and pastors right now to make sure that they're not manufacturing revitalization versus really seeking the Lord for his revitalization? Well, I think, first of all, it's it's increasingly difficult to manufacture revitalization these days anyway. Uh, we're, we're projecting, some experts are saying, we'll likely be 20 to 30 percent down in attendance uh, post-pandemic for some time. And so just recognizing that reality means we're not likely going to be back to where we were a year ago, a little more than a year ago, uh, for, for some time. So it's going to be tough to do that. But but to your point, I don't think it's wrong at all for us to think about, do I need to look at a different program? Do I need to evaluate my worship service? Absolutely. There, there are some, and we send our, we call them, I used to call them spies, and then somebody thought that sounded demonic. So now we call them secret shoppers or whatever, going into churches. And they, they send us reports. Honestly, there are times when folks write back to us and say, the, the music was terrible, and the preaching wasn't so hot, and I wouldn't go back there. Well, you got to work on that. Still connected to being in the Word and praying, 
but you still have to work on those things. And so I think I think we've got to do those things. We just have to make sure that we're seeking the Lord's wisdom for what to do and how to do it before we decide what to do, and then seek his blessing and his leadership along the way. That if we go direction A and it doesn't take us where we need to go, we simply say, Lord, grant us wisdom. If A is not the direction, what's what's B? What's what's next for us? So that we're continually covering our processes in prayer and always asking first, Lord, what do you want? As opposed to, Lord, would you please bless? So a pastor or a church member listening today, and they understand your, your direction, where you're going with spiritual warfare and its need and revitalization, to its recon, recognition of its need and revitalization of prayer. What is a main point you want them to take from this this podcast? What is a, a main takeaway that you really want them to identify with as they as they walk away from this podcast? It's it's really simple. Don't don't fight the battle alone. You got to have somebody walking with you, uh, and whoever that person is needs to be pushing you to be in the Word and praying, so that so that if you fall in the midst of spiritual conflict, somebody can pick you up and somebody can still walk with you and somebody can help you get back on the right path, whatever that looks like post post a fall. Uh, when we're walking alone, we're in trouble. And when we fall alone, whether that's just whether that's a, a major moral failure or we simply start operating in our own strength. When we when we fall alone it's, it's tough to turn anything around because our ego gets in the way. We, we blame somebody else. We blame the church. We blame pandemic. We find all kinds of reasons to say, this is why I did what I did. And ultimately, when we cast blame on somebody else or something else, that's, that's a tool of the enemy from the, from the garden. Amen. Uh, Hannah, I'm going to give you an opportunity to start with our final thoughts off of everything that uh, Dr. Lawless has presented with us today. What's a final takeaway that you would give someone listening or, or something that one insight that really stuck out to you? Yeah, well, this scripture just came to mind. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Um, just like Dr. Lachlis was saying, um, you know, we can make plans and we should. We should be working towards revitalization. Um, but in and through that, trusting God, leaning not on our own understanding uh, and acknowledging what his plan is for for revitalization. You know, that is God's heart, of course. Um, and so just acknowledging him and depending on him and uh, looking to him each day. I also definitely want to echo what Dr. Lala said about isolation. And I think that is so key, you know, finding uh, people around you in your area, other pastors um, that can encourage you that also have a heart for revitalization for your specific area, too. Um, you know, looking for for ways to come together in that way. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm, I'm encouraged just by the Lord's sovereignty over revitalization, too, that this isn't just uh, something he's left to us, but that he walks with us uh, in us in it and through it. And uh, it's not all on us. It's not all up to us. It's it's his work that we're we're joining in. And Dr. Lawson, I'm going to give you the the final thought, but I do want to direct part of that final thought, a pastor or a church member listening today. 
they've done something and the enemy's speaking in their mind, there's, you've gone too far down the road. There's no turning back. There's no possibility. Or someone listening today that says, you know, I'm just really hurting. I feel alone. I don't feel like I have any friends in the ministry. I don't feel like I have any friends in the church. I uh, would love to hear your final thoughts um, specifically around what speaking directly to them today. Yeah, t- two things. Always keep in mind that the enemy delights in lies. He delights in speaking lies into our minds that God doesn't love us anymore. God can never use us again. God won't forgive us. He also delights when we choose not to be honest. And so if I'm hurting and lonely and I'm not sharing that with somebody, I'm not being honest. Uh, if I'm on the edge of, of a sinful fall and I'm not seeking help from somebody, I'm not being honest. If I'm already crossed that line and and I'm unwilling to confess that because I know what it could cost me, I'm not being honest. And and the enemy is going to win in all of those situations, at least at least temporarily. So we, we have to come to the place to say that my walk with God and my work for God, they matter so much that I can't play games with this. I have to be gut-level honest with, with somebody. The other thing I would say, Terry, and this is to, to all church leaders— we individually, all of us in this room and everyone leading a church that's listening to this to this podcast, we all have to be continually growing. I think there are a lot of pastors who are trying to revitalize their churches when they themselves need to have a revitalized Christian walk. Amen. Yeah. And so let's not leapfrog that. Because I fear that if if we see increased growth, we'll think that our walk must be good because God must be blessing this. When the truth is, I may see numerical increase and even decrease in my own walk with God. So, so let's pray, God, revitalize me, and then out of that, revitalize the church. Amen. Amen. Well, Dr. Lawless, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for investing in us. Thank you for investing in North Carolina Baptist and, and all that you do. Um, I'm going to just ask you to just offer, before we close, just offer a little prayer uh, for all those listening today um, and for our North Carolina Baptist as they just um, navigate revitalization in their in their own personal lives as well as, as their churches, and, and then I'll close. Sure. Father, we are so grateful that you are, in fact, sovereign. And that nothing we face as church leaders, as pastors, as lay leaders, staff members, whatever our role, nothing we face alarms you or surprises you. That you can take the the church that is struggling the most and bring life out of apparent death. We thank you that you're that kind of God. And so I pray for our brothers and sisters around this state who are listening to this podcast. I pray especially for those who are wounded and hurting and lonely. I ask you, God, to burden them to reach out to somebody. And Lord, even erase their sleep until they choose to find somebody to walk alongside them in this in this battle. God, I pray that you would give them glimpses of your glory, just a little thing here and there that shows them that you are still at work through their ministries. And God, help them to see that, to rejoice in that, 
and to find hope in those little things that they can press forward again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Dr. Lawless, for being here today. Thank you, Hannah, for participating. And thank you for listening in today, uh, pastors and lay people across North Carolina. I want to uh, take a moment to remind you about an all-new website designed to help churches in these continually changing times. It's the Reimagine NC website, and it's full of tools and tips and resources for churches and leaders to think about new ways of approaching ministry. I really believe that will help you. It's great content in that area and in all areas of ministry. Well, we hope you've uh, enjoyed our time today, and we hope to see you again on the next Revitalize NC podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your partnership in the gospel through your generous support of the cooperative program. For more resources and information, visit our website at revitalizenc.org.